As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Laurie Whitwell. Welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. There's no Carl Anker this week. He's having a well-deserved break. And I've got Andy Mitten alongside me as usual. Uh, Andy, always out and about, isn't he? Last week, he was in a few different locations. And I think he's one of the only people to have witnessed in the flesh Erling Haaland and killing Mbappe. Is that right, Andy? Yeah, nice to join you, Laurie. Yeah, I was in Cam now on Tuesday when PSG were incredible in the second half. So good that I was thinking... How on earth did Manchester United beat this team away twice? And I was doing it for TV. So normally I'm in the press box and press boxes tend to be higher up. But when you're for TV, you're really low down and you just realise how good these people are close up. A couple of observations. So much English is spoken in a game between a French team and a Spanish team. And again in Seville uh, a day later, so much English is spoken. The referees sort of switching between English and another language, English and another language. And I'm thinking, I'm hearing Kaylor Navas talking to people in English. And then Mbappe was the star. He's incredible. And afterwards, he came about two metres from me, but I can't speak French, so I couldn't speak to him. But I did speak to Mauricio Pochettino and Ander Herrera and um, also Frankie de Jong, who cut a much more unhappy figure than, than the PSG lads. What was Pochettino like to speak to? Obviously, you know, he's a name that is uh, synonymous with Manchester United over the last sort of 18 months, but obviously got a new job and, and doing all right so far. He was good. He was, he was good before the game and he was good after the game. And I, I think he knows how to, I wouldn't say play the media, that's maybe being a little bit cynical, but I always remember when he was at Southampton and a, a mate of mine, he was a Catalan coach who'd worked with him at Espanyol. He went over to Southampton and he said to me, yeah, Mauricio's put his suit on tonight. I think because Southampton are playing Tottenham and he wants to make a good impression for Tottenham. And I thought, okay, he knows what he's doing. And then after the game, he's like, hi, how are you doing? And I'm thinking, I don't know you. But he was. I was going to interview him just before he got the PSG job. And he has a family home in Barcelona. And I knew him when he was uh, Espanol as the manager. So... As a journalist, you're thinking he's even he's he's good at what he does here. You know, he's putting you at ease. And when you ask him a question, 
He's dealing with it enthusiastically. He's giving you a decent answer. But then again, if you've just beaten Barca 4-1 in camp now, you can be the happiest man in the world, can't you? I'm sure, you know, when, when we speak to managers and players, they're human. If they're in a good mood, then they're in a good mood. I mean, I even had Ollie talking about Indian and Chinese food after he'd beaten Liverpool a few weeks ago. I'm not sure whether I'd ask him the same questions now. Yeah, quite right. Um, go on, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Haaland or Mbappe, if you had the choice of one, which would it be? Mbappe. Yeah, I think Haaland is is brilliant, but I think Mbappe is, is even better. And they're probably the two players. Who would you sign? You get to sign one of them tomorrow. Well, Haaland's more realistic, isn't it? Although maybe, yeah, you know, with the agent situation, I'm, I'm being a bit wishful thinking there. I mean, Mbappe's clearly got so much to his game. I mean, that 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 hat-trick goal, um, the, you know, the, the, count, the, the speed of the counter-attack and the way he took the ball first time, I mean, unbelievable, wasn't it? But Haaland would add something different to United's attack. So it's a really tricky one. But I mean, I think we're quite blessed, aren't we, to have two emerging players of that ilk, you know, and United have got their own in Marcus Rashford, who I think, you know, sees himself in that bracket um, ultimately. But considering, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, are, you know, in the twilights of their career, um, you know, it's, it's nice that we've got some more young stars to, to kind of get behind and kind of follow their path because, um, yeah, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? I know Daniel Taylor did a piece on The Athletic this week saying, let's not, you know, look beyond Messi and Ronaldo too swiftly. But yeah, I think it was an exciting week, wasn't it? And, and you know, I'm very jealous that you were there to, to actually witness it in the flesh. I won't ask you about your trip to San Sebastian or, or should I, you know, given you were outside in the cold when, when the match was going on in Turin. Well, I didn't even make it to San Sebastian because I, right, I, I, okay. I turned up at Seville Airport on the Thursday morning. Seville is Europe's hottest and sunniest city and boasts of having, you know, 366 days a year of sunshine. So I roll up at the airport my work's gone fine. And I said to the taxi driver, it's really foggy here. Planes can't land in the fog. And he said, uh, don't worry about it. It's because the airport's near the river. The mist will clear within an hour. Well, it didn't. And I was supposed to fly Seville to Madrid. And then I was going to change planes and fly to Pamplona because my flight to San Sebastian was cancelled. And the game was cancelled as well, let's be honest. And then I, I registered in a, a car sharing pool called Blah Blah Car. And this lady was going to take me for six quid from Pamplona to San Sebastian. And I was going to stand outside an empty stadium and say, I'm an idiot. And I'm stood outside this beautiful stadium in a beautiful city in Spain. But the flight never took off from Seville because of the fog. The plane couldn't land. One of the passengers was going mental. And I'm like, well, what are you trying to do? Planes can't land in the fog. Although I'm later told that at the biggest airports they can do, but there's no need for it at Seville Airport. So they bust us along to... Um, Jerez by the the Portuguese border, then into Madrid, and then I just had to cut my losses, lost the hotel in San Sebastian, didn't make it to San Sebastian, and I've just found that doing my job and travelling, this this is just becoming pretty normal in these COVID times. I appreciate that I'm lucky to be able to travel, and I need to travel to be able to do my job. I'm sure your hearts are all bleeding, but I won't get any government support, and I've got I have got a family to support, but I never ever expected to be grounded by fog in the sunniest city in Europe. But it's a good game. Seville, I'm sure we might talk about a little bit more. They were in a great run of form, but Haaland destroyed them. And Mbappe, I mean, they're both brilliant. They're exciting to talk about. Mbappe's already a World Cup winner. Haaland's never going to win the World Cup with Norway. When Mbappe came to Old Trafford for PSG, and they've won twice at Old Trafford in 2019, the way he gained two yards to score that goal was a wow moment. It really was. And you mentioned Rashford. 
I think that maybe we're being slightly biased there. I think Marcus has got to go up another level before he's been talked of globally like Mbappe and Haaland. Because Mbappe's a beautiful footballer, he's a street footballer. Haaland's really ungainly. He runs in a really awkward manner. He's a bit like Luis Suarez. He just goes up against a player and then comes out the other side with the ball at his feet, bang, and it's in. There's not a lot of beauty there, but wow, he's effective. I'd love to see both of them at Old Trafford. Who wouldn't? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't forget that until February the 25th, we're offering new subscribers a half-price annual subscription. That's less than £1 a week for an entire year. What a deal. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to sign up. And you can read loads of stuff by myself, by Carl, by Andy, by lots of other people, not just Man United stuff, but plenty of other things to hopefully keep you entertained. Now, Andy, we're talking after a pretty good week here, aren't we, uh, for United? Um, obviously, over in Turin, a uh, 4-0 win, which we'll get on to, but the most recent result, a 3-1 win over Newcastle. Um, now, it was a good result in the end. I was certainly watching it, getting very frustrated in the first half at, at the performance. I think a few people around the club were certainly looking at it that way. What did you make of the game, the display, and then I suppose ultimately the result? I think it was really needed. And when you talked of the two results, they were both needed because I felt the mood had slumped after West Brom because it wasn't just that it was a one-all draw against West Brom. That was one league winning five. Combine that with City pulling away. Okay, Liverpool imploding may make United fans smirk a little bit, but it was disappointing being a Manchester United fan in the last month. So to put four past Real Sociedad was a fantastic result. They were top of the league when the draw was made. And you might get a little bit of kickback yeah, but they're not very good. Well, they are actually good. Ollie himself said it wasn't a 4-0 game. I think the way they played, pressing and having more possessions suited Manchester United down to the ground. But I'm totally with you. At half-time against Newcastle, I put a pretty snarky tweet out saying, not many teams can make Newcastle United look like PSG at camp now, but Manchester United are managing it at the moment. I thought United were really, really poor in the first half. Again, and... Newcastle fans are despairing at their situation with Steve Bruce's manager. They really don't like him. It seems to have got really personal there. And I felt that if Manchester United didn't win on Sunday, you would have seen the mood really drop again. And you started to see that Ollie's not the man for us, creeping in online a bit. And that's all you judge him for because you're not at the games where you can speak to the fans at the matches and gauge opinions. Thankfully, I thought the second half was much better. Well, it seemed to get better after Dan James was skinned and he got a lot better after being um, sent the wrong way. I think it was by Alan St. Maximum. Pronounce that for me correctly, mate, because I keep making a hash of it. I think you did a fine job there, Andy. I don't need to uh, add my uh, expertise on that one. (laughs) And and then to win 3-1, it's a decent scoreline. Bruno scored again, assisted again. I thought Nemanja Matic, and you picked up on Matic's influence. You did a piece in, in the Athletic. I think it was spot on to do that. He's a, he's a 
really nice pass for the ball. And, and he needed that as well. He'd not started since the Sheffield United game. And I don't think it was vintage Manchester United, not by a long stretch. Anthony Martial, again, was disappointing, although he had that one turn and run on goal after 59 minutes. Marcus's goal was brilliant. Is this team firing on all cylinders? No, not even close. And looking at the games coming up, it's getting really tough. City have disappeared into the distance. I think it's just about staying second. Leicester are on the same number of points and staying second above those teams beneath who, who are winning a lot of matches. What did you make of the second half? In the end, I came out of it thinking, you know, a decent performance, you know, a really difficult one in the first half that, that, that kind of, there, was, there were moments of it that, that felt, well, that got me quite angry, to be honest. I mean, I don't want to make Anthony Marshall, you know, too much of a, a scapegoat here, but there was a, a point in the second half and he actually flagged it up on match of the day where he, there was a sort of like an attack and he drifted out to the left wing and then you had, him, Luke Shaw, Marcus Rashford. I think there was four in, in a sort of space of 10 yards. And I'm just thinking, okay, listen, you're not the only one that was guilty in that situation, but you're the number nine in this game. You should be in the box, giving an option to somebody on the wing to cross in or bounce off. And it just seems that he often takes up these positions. And it, it confuses me because he, gave, he got given the number nine shirt, which I think was you know a symbolic thing, but also uh, you know a clear positional thing from Oligona Solskjaer that was supposed to give him confidence. And he, he did do well last season. I wonder if the arrival of Edinson Cavani's actually had an impact on him where he's felt a little bit disgruntled again, where you've had, um, you know, that's what happened, you know, really with Zlatan Ibrahimovic's arrival and, and Romelu Lukaku's arrival, where he sort of felt a little bit maligned or, or sorry, sidelined, I suppose. Um, and I wonder if that's sort of disrupted his flow a little bit. But really, you know, you're a striker for Manchester United. You should be able to deal with competition. Uh, and listen, maybe I'm being too harsh, but it just felt like that was a game. And, and I accept your point there. He did do really well to hold up the ball, turn his man and get a shot away. But we know he can do that kind of thing. You know, we know he can shoot from range. I, I want to see him in that box offering an option. You know, if the cross comes in, great. If it doesn't, then... You know, at least you, you, you're occupying defenders and it just gets United in a better position overall, I think. So he, he was probably my, my biggest takeaway. I mean, another piece, um, another person that I thought, you know, was was worth um, sort of looking at was Harry Maguire, which you know, I'm doing a piece at the moment that should be out by the time this podcast comes out. And it, it was sort of related to that stat that you mentioned about Nemanja Matic in terms of um, that we did last season in, in terms of how much he is involved in Goal, uh, goals that United scored, not just assists or actually scoring, but also the move developing throughout, uh, you know, up to the end of the pitch. So Matic was actually really good at that last season. You know, when lockdown was lifted, he was involved in quite a lot of moves, surprisingly so. Harry Maguire comes out, you know, impressively in that situation. 11 goals he's been involved in where he's been involved in, in passing the ball out, you know, from the back or driving with it. You know, he was obviously the guy that passed it to Luke Shaw ahead of his cross to Bruno Fernandes at West Brom. He was also the guy that passed it out to Marcus Rashford. Now, you know, he gets an assist for that. Maybe you're saying that's a bit of a, a you know, lucky assist given Rashford have obviously had to go and beat a guy twice and, and strike it in the near post. But actually, the way that Maguire, you know, sort of passed him the ball and got him in that one-on-one -on -one space, I think sort of deserves, you know, a bit of credit. And there's a few moments like that, really. So that was that's the piece that's going to come out. But I suppose what I'm asking you is, what do you think about the centre-back situation um, at Manchester United, you know, how Maguire is criticised for um, the price tag and for being, you know, perhaps outmuscled in certain situations. But Victor Lindelof, you know, similar kind of critiques of him. Eric, Eric Bailly, can we rely on him? 
Um, Axel Twanzebe, similar kind of question. What, what what do you make of all that? Can I just mention Martial first? I think his his stock is probably lower among United fans than at any time since he joined the club at the moment. And that's not to make him a scapegoat, like you say, but if a player plays badly, you're right to be critical of them, just as you're right to praise them when they play well. And he's not done enough this season. I remember going to where he grew up in a, a banlieue outside Paris in March 18, and his stock was at a similarly low level. So Lukaku was unhappy at that time. Just after United had been knocked out of the Champions League by Sevilla, Lukaku had done a press conference where he talked about was not getting the service that he wanted. And I went to the little area of Paris where Martial's from, where Patrice Evra's from, where Thierry Henry's from. It's a real football factory. And I tweeted something like, this is the building where Martial grew up. And the reaction was, it really was. It was selling. And we're seeing that exactly the same now, Laurie. It's everyone has got a massive downer on him, more so than any other player. The other area of the team where I think is the biggest issue is exactly what you say. It's the central defenders. That's why United are looking at other central defenders. There's been times this season, right at the start of the season, Victor Lindelof was getting a lot of stick. Uh, Harry Maguire has not escaped criticism either. I noticed a few weeks ago that you said he was the one pushing up at West Brom, and you're quite right. And part of me thought, are United that desperate that the central defender needs to push up? But I quite like watching defenders push up like that. Maybe it's the entertainment aspect. Maybe it's the the, the primal get stuck in, get forward. Maybe that's the, the, the English football fan in me. But there was a time against Newcastle where he pushed that far forward that he was caught out and he, he did chase back and he ended up winning the, the ball back. I've said of him, he's been a good signing. He's not been transformative like Van Dijk was for Liverpool. Been a good signing. Good is not great. There's been times when he's been great. And I feel that if it wasn't a problem, Manchester United wouldn't be looking at other central defenders. When we're talking of the great United teams, they've had great central defensive partnerships. We can reel out, you know, your Stammer and your Vidiches, your Bruce and your Pallisters. Is Maguire and Lindelof one at the moment? I don't think it is. I think they're decent players. Uh, Eric Bailly, I think on his day, he's fantastic. We're playing Chelsea away next. He was man of the match at Stamford Bridge a year ago. I spoke to him after the game. I waited an hour and 10 minutes for him. It was pretty disappointing, to be honest. I thought, you know, going to wait for him, going to have a good chat with him. How are you doing? We'll speak in Spanish. He was all right. You, you know, sometimes as a journalist, you get brilliant interviews and other times you think that wasn't worth 77 zero minutes of my, my time. But... He's got the, the strength, he's got the pace, but he's got mistakes as well. And if you're going to be winning titles and going to be winning European trophies, and you've got, you, there's got to be, you've got to need better than that. It frustrates me a little bit that Manchester City bought Ruben Diaz, the man who replaced Victor Lindelof. Hindsight is very, very easy in football. I'm just being honest, Diaz looks like the best defender in the league at the moment. We've got a fair few questions about United's centre-back uh, situation from our listeners. Thanks so much for uh, writing in and for listening, everybody. Gacy Hernock asks, I think Lindelof gets a bit of unfair press at times. Maguire gets a free ride a lot of the time. Maguire seems to be undroppable in Oli's eyes. 
is there any possibility of a buy Lindelof pair or will Oli focus on centre-back options in the window? And that then brings us on to a couple of names that have been floating about recently. And a, a lot of um, listeners were asking about these. At United, Harrison was one that asked about, is there any concrete interest in Jules Kunde? And Adam Paul uh, asked whether United were interested in Nikola Milenkovic. So I suppose, yeah, those three questions, Andy. A buy Lindelof pair? And then Kunde and Milenkovic. I think the Bay-Lindelof idea is really interesting. You don't know if you don't try it. doesn't seem conventional to me at the moment, but I think sometimes needs must. Sometimes you stumble upon a partnership, like with York and Cole at Southampton away six weeks into the season. I'm not saying this can be quite as effective, but, <laughs> but you know, playing against... Uh, there might be times in, in the Europa League when they get a chance to play them together. I think it's a fair call because Maguire's just playing week after week after week. I'll pick up on Milenkovic. I think at the moment that one's sort of agent-driven, the, the link's there. So I think we can probably just, you know, pause, not get too excited about that one. You know, it's always a, a changeable feast, isn't it? This kind of thing. But I would say just, um, you know, perhaps just don't read too much into those those ones with Milenkovic. Jules Kunde, different situation, I think. I think he is an option for United. He's obviously shown his pedigree for Sevilla. You know, United know all about him um, from having played against him. And he seems like a good, exciting option with the characteristics that United would like to have with a player alongside Maguire. My personal thoughts are that, you know, a captain of United who's cost 80 million, who does do good things, you know, a lot of the time, as much as, you know, you can criticise certain elements of his game. I, I don't, I can't see Solskjaer ever really dropping him, you know, maybe a rotation, as you say, Andy, but I think he's the guy that he's find a partner for. So in that situation, Jules Kunde could well be an option, but um, yeah, do you know much about him? I know Manchester United have watched him extensively and they watched him last week in, in Seville and there was a scout there. Is that an exclusive there, Andy? <laughs> United have watched lots of players extensively and that's what a top football club should do. That doesn't mean that a player is going to be signed. doesn't mean that a player wants to go. But we all have eyes. We watched Sevilla last season when they knocked Manchester United out of Europe. He's exceptional. And there are some exceptional central defenders in La Liga. I think the best ones are at Atletico and Madrid will probably be too expensive for Manchester United. Um, there's good ones at Athletic Club, Bilbao. And then you've got Conde in, in Sevilla. So going into that game last week against Dortmund, I think they kept seven clean sheets and were the form team and were playing against top sides. And then Haaland just battered them. So I don't know. I'm not a professional scout. And I think it's United's job to, because he's not going to be cheap, is to work out whether he's good enough to play, whether the deal's doable. And I think you're going to see so many players linked to United and some of it, as you say, is agent-driven. But I've spoke to a few agents in the last week and they're like, where on earth has this come from? I'm not on about Kawunde. I'm on about other stories where it's just pure clickbait with some people where they know that link a player to Manchester United. And I know a couple of agents who've, who've rang Man United and said, you know, my client's been linked with you. Where's this coming from? Because he doesn't know about it. I don't know about it. And the club are like, well, we don't know about it either. United are looking at central defender, looking at other positions as well. And I think it's it's right that the club should do. And he will be one of the moves under consideration. That does not mean that he's going to sign. There's so many things that can go wrong. He's very fast. He's, he's very strong. I think he reads the ball, reads the game very well. And he's playing in a top, top team. Um 
I watched him. I watched Jude Bellingham closely. Someone who United also wanted to sign. I watched Jaden Sancho. I'm not has Sancho ever been linked with Man United. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Another listener question. It's at Yes It's Chili, uh, which now that I've read it out loud makes more sense than reading it on a page. He says, Thanks for taking our questions, Laurie. No problem. What are the positions United have identified as needing to be addressed? So we've touched on it there. And I think a point to make in all these transfer discussions, we're in February for a start. And also, the government has only just um, outlined their plans for allowing fans back into stadiums, which is clearly a huge revenue source for Manchester United. I think they've lost you know well they missed out on over 100 million pounds of revenue because of that so far and you know it'll continue you know probably until next season you know we're not even going to see capacity crowds for a long time yet so I think you have to bear that in mind when you're talking about prospective transfers I could well see a situation where United um, you know make perhaps one marquee signing and then the rest is dependent on players they get out the door which we could maybe touch on obviously Jesse Lingard's doing very well at West Ham his value is probably increasing um, although he'll only have a year left on his deal the Paul Pogba situation is obviously something that will need to be uh, addressed as well and listen and, and we've also had David Ornstein's um, column this week in the Athletic Talk about the Sancho situation and the fact that United are, are perhaps pausing that pursuit because they're looking at other areas of the pitch that might need more immediate remedy and they know that the price for Sancho is going to be um, you know, lower than it was prescribed to be last season and listen you can look back at that and go well actually United held firm in that situation and Perhaps if they do end up signing him, you know, at the moment it looks like it's on hold, but, you know, then they'll get him for a, a better price. And in the scheme of things, is that a, a decent negotiation tactic? Uh, obviously, on the flip side of that, you you, you wonder if they could have got a player uh, of his ilk for this season. Would that have changed, you know, where they're going to end up? And certainly you can have a look at how long it took for United to, to sort of look at other avenues um, for last summer's transfer spending. But that's obviously what they're now looking at ahead for this summer. So what do you, I suppose, think of... The, the budget they might have, the positions they might want to strengthen, just all that kind of question, Andy. Sancho will not cost what Borussia were looking for last summer. I think we said it many times on this podcast. United will not pay €120 million. Euros. The pound's moving slightly favourably against the euro, but it doesn't make a huge difference. United know, and I, I found this out last week, United know that he is not going to cost as much as they wanted last year. Football's economics have changed, as you touched upon. United have lost £4 million every time a game has not been played at Old Trafford. 
Is the confidence that the TV contracts are going to be higher or lower next time round? Most of it's pointing towards lower. Sponsorships, well, look at the business environment. Companies are not flush as they were before the global pandemic. So I, I would not see free stellar signings coming in. I've continually said that United need more Bruno-class players. If one came in, and that combined with, as you say, moving players out, I think that's the best case scenario because it's difficult. It's more difficult for other clubs. Look at the problems. Barcelona are in huge problems. And they almost had a fire sale last year. Madrid have put a lot of money into the Bernabeu. That's why I'm really doubtful when I see Haaland being linked to Spain, unless they can get another um, credit line, maybe sponsorship from Saudi. Uh, I remember when Ronaldinho was coming to Old Trafford and United just didn't think that Barca had the money because they didn't have, but at the last minute, they got a new credit line from a Catalan bank and the, the player ended up going to camp now. So I think we're going to see pretty modest summer transfer action. Uh, I think... Ollie's done a pretty good job of moving players on. I think you're right to touch on Jesse. He's got value again now. He's doing well for a good team, doing really well. Great for him. And slim it down. I think I think clubs are cutting costs. <laughs> Let's be realistic. It's all right, fans saying buy X and Y. I can only see, and this worries me, PSG and Manchester City pulling away because of the way that they, they are funded. And I don't have a solution to that. Maybe it's down to a deeper discussion on, on on financial fair play. So I think United will, will be spending money. They're not under pressure to offload players uh, as much as other clubs, but that wage bill needs to be cut. And if we're going to name names, there's people like Juan Mata, who's a great lad, earning a fortune, who's barely contributing to the team. And United will try and move on the players. Um, Phil Jones, who's, who's been luckless with injury, but has still been getting paid all the time. Um, Sergio Romero, we spoke about him a lot of times. Marcus Rojo uh, has moved on as well. Uh, Marcus Rashford selling to City for twenty million quid. I'm just making sure that you're paying attention here now. So that that that's that's how I um that's how I would, I would see it playing out. Um, to United's benefit, prices will have dropped. Um, United still remains pretty attractive. I think if United can get in the in second position. Win a cup, show clear signs of progress. If Pogba's to stay and play as he was doing before his injury, there's a lot of positives there that Manchester United uh, are onto something. Uh, but I just do not see anyone, bar City and PSG, being able to go over that 100 million figure for a player. The City element is interesting in, in regards to Haaland as well. Um, we've touched on um, on, on the Athletic on, on their interest in him and I wonder if it came to, uh, you know, a, a sort of gunfight between the two clubs, whether United would have the um, the full resources to, to match. I'm sure Dortmund would, would love to have that kind of situation, two clubs vying for a player that's got a release clause the following summer and, and whether that would then feed into the Sancho situation, whether they'd want to lose two players in one summer. I, I would doubt 
about it. Some signings that United are making, at least uh, on the academy side, uh, had a little item in David Ornstein's column this week on uh, three lads from Derby County who are all under the age of 15, I believe, uh, for about £750,000 compensation in total, something like that. The, the two clubs have, have talked and come to an agreement and it seems like that you know Derby could do with the cash and United can do with um, some good young players. We know they've got such a good academy system as it is, so let's add to that, let's supplement it. Wayne Rooney, uh, I'm sure, discussed the uh, situation. You know, His son Kai's at United's Academy, although he's a, a few years younger. And also we had a little bit on him uh, giving a little bit of a rollicking, I suppose, to the under-23s and under-18s at Derby, which is, I don't know, quite pleased me, Andy, that, that he, uh, he's gone into management. You know, you can, you always wonder about whether a, a player of such a high level of, of playing ability will have that fire, that same hunger to make a stamp on his managerial career, particularly when the club are, you know, at the bottom of the championship fighting relegation. He could be focused on the first team. Well, actually, he's, he's called a meeting for the under-23s, under-18s to sort of spell out the expectations that he has for them. And then just, I wanted to touch on a few other little pieces that we've got on The Athletic that you might want to have a read of. Carl's done a really good piece on Lindelof's strengths and weaknesses. I've written about Mason Greenwood's contract, uh, which was, you know, pleasing news um, last week that he signed on until 2025 at least and, and the fact that when I was speaking to people around it they were basically saying that, you know he could have asked for more really and he certainly could have waited to the Euros see if he'd starred there uh, and then kind of not held the club to ransom but certainly added to his leverage position and I think clearly the fact that they've agreed terms now um, rather than wait until you know the summer sort of suggests trust on both sides and, and a productive relationship going forward he's not represented by an agent you know you're not going to see a kind of Mino Raola style stomping of feet and um, you know gun to the head of a club um, it seems like quite a nice relationship at the present between player and club and then sort of bleeding on into that we've had this news this week that um, crowds are potentially going to be back for May the 17th you know and that then I suppose feeds into the funds that United might have at least they can perhaps start planning a little bit more in terms of revenue expected but it will be interesting I don't know what you think about this Andy Molyneux last game of the season they have you know, 8,000 fans there. If there's something riding on it, you know, are you thinking from a United perspective, you know, should we actually pause it? Or, or do you think maybe they could do a little bit of a deal for the Fulham game at home the week previous and say, get us a Monday night football because that'll be May the 17th. That'll be the first day that you, know, you can have fans back in. I know United have been making the ground as ready as possible to get fans back in. And that has always been the case. I think I wrote for The Athletic about... In September, they wanted fans in for the Palace game. And even as I was writing the story and we published the story, the mood was darkening on that very day. And like within four hours, it just wasn't going to happen. But the club had, had met with the local authorities. They've been really diligent. United have got different scenarios where they can allow different numbers of fans in. Firstly, I think it's great if fans can come back in because we've had several false dawns here. The optimism seems a little bit more real now. And in a best case scenario, if Manchester United could get to the FA Cup final or the Europa League final, imagine going to Poland and you're allowed fans in May. Maybe that's too optimistic. Sitting in a beautiful Polish square having a beer, although you'd probably be looking for a barber's to get your hair cut now that <laughs> things would be opening up again. If we see fans this season, I think that's a, a, a big bonus uh, because... I've not been expecting it. As for Wolves away, well, it's the worst away end in the league. It's too low down. <laughs> yeah. So that's a bit yeah, of a nightmare. That long strip, a long, yeah. long strip along the bottom, awful for getting an atmosphere going, isn't it? Yeah, it um, is. 
you, you touched on Europa League there. We're close to wrapping, but I just wondered, you know, you, know, you weren't in Turin, but you've obviously seen the game, the 4-0, and, and, you know, really resounding way to get past a team that obviously looked really tricky on paper. We've got Thursday's match coming up, the return leg. What do you think Solskjaer should do in that situation? And did did the way that United, you know, produced performance away to Sociedad give you confidence for the rest of the competition? Yeah, it, it blew a very good team away. And I, I remember Partizan Belgrade um, when you know, when Brandon Williams did so well. And I remember asking Oli after the game, and he just made a point that standards are definitely different in this competition. And if coaches are thinking that with conviction, I know it sounds obvious, clearly the Europa League is not as good as the Champions League, but reminding me a little bit of 17 when Jose Mourinho was brilliant in identifying that we can win this competition we can be pretty good clubs, but not the absolute best. And you might come up against a severe, although not this year, thankfully, and we can't get Manchester City in this competition. So United are favourites to win it. I still think it'll be a difficult one. The result in in Turin was a, was a pleasant surprise, but that shouldn't take anything away. Uh, after a pretty rocky first few minutes, the way that United finished, scored four goals, kept a clean sheet, and we just need external factors. You know, we don't know where half of these games are going to be played. It's still the last 32 stage. There's still a lot of football to be played in it. I think United should absolutely go out, try and win the Europa League. It combined with a decent league finish would really lift the mood. And then you've got the Champions League qualification that had come from it as well. But it'd be very risky to go for that. Mourinho took that risk, but anything can happen in a final. And then with the game at Old Trafford, I think it's a chance to give fringe players a, a game. I think Oli, he doesn't make massive changes, does he? He still keeps like a structure to his team. He still keeps Harry Maguire playing. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking there. And, and, but th- there are a few players who, who need minutes. Give them them. Maybe Shoretiri will play more minutes. Uh, I think sometimes fans are like, throw the youngsters in without realising how big a, the gap can be. But maybe there's a big difference between five minutes at the end of the game and getting 30 minutes. And it's not a needs must. When Marcus Rashford made his debuts, because United had 12 injuries, they're not in that situation at the moment. But you want to beat Real Sociedad. You don't want to put a load of kids on and lose the game. And it's further complicated, finally, by the different bubbles. A lot of the 23 players are in a different bubble from the first team players. So when they do really well, Neil Wood loses his best players to the first team and that's why they end up losing against Everton at Southport. Yeah, we saw that, didn't we? Uh, on, yeah, Monday night. Um, yeah, difficult game, but clearly a team that had been totally decimated of its best players. So, uh, yeah, I'll be there on Thursday uh, for the uh, Sociedad game. Thankfully, it's at Old Trafford, not Greece or some other sort of neutral ground that's thousands of miles away. Yeah, will I see you there, Andy? No, you're not going to see me there this week. Um, you, I'm gonna... You're outside San Sebastian again. No, I mean, I could go to San Sebastian. I'm allowed to do that and it's a beautiful city and I could try and claim back my hotel from last week but there won't be much point to that I'm going to wait until the draw is the draw made on Friday I think we're allowed to talk about the draw safely with a four four goal cushion and then work out my travel with the next round and the FA Cup and try and sort of work it and then I'm also being asked to go to games in Spain but it's just really complicated at the moment I'm just trying to do my job like, like, like anybody else's but 
if United can really advance in this Europa League and get to that final with fans there, that just the, the prospect brings a smile to my face. Listen, that's all I have to say. Thanks very much for joining me, Andy. Thanks very much for listening to everybody. Uh, this is Talk of the Devils, and we'll be back next week. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.